welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I'm your host, Brett Kane, and you are tuning in to probably one of my favorite episodes yet. I know I say it often, but uh, today we have the venerable Mark Handler coming on to talk to us about sound bowls. Actually, what you're hearing right now for the intro track, it is called Ajna, and it's off of one of his releases that you can get on his website, which the link will be down below. Mark Handler is a clinical psychologist who has been in the field for, I think, well over 30 years. He's been a practicing yogi for about 50, as well as just spiritual guide and mentor for many people. Um, His main um, claim to fame, if you will, is using sound bowls as an adjunct to his clinical psychotherapy and getting really great results. Um, You know, he has a ton of YouTube videos. He's releasing albums where you can actually listen to his work. He has a massive collection of ancient singing bowls dating from 500 to 1,000 years old. He's he's the real deal. He knows what he's he's talking about. And uh, I really wanted this episode to be kind of like a story time. So that's kind of how I had it planned. So in this episode, we actually talk about his history getting into yoga, what that was like for him in the 60s and 70s, getting into that and how it's transformed, how fringe practices have actually now been brought into the mainstream contemporary fold, and just what his experience is like being both a clinical psychotherapist as well as a spiritual aspirant. Um yeah, this was a fascinating, fascinating opportunity for me. I, I really enjoyed hearing what he had to say and his perspective on life. Plus, his insights into sound are actually really incredible. Um, he studied with uh, Ram Dass, Roshi Joan Halifax, um, as well as a bunch of others. Those were the two that I am the most familiar with. Um, but yeah, it, it, this was, it was an honor, and I'm humbled to be able to have sat down and soaked up some of his time. Um, yeah, this past week, I hope was well for all of y'all. Sorry, I didn't uh, wish that immediately. Hope you're doing well. Um, it's been a little bit more calm, I feel like, uh, statewide, uh, stateswide. And, uh, you know, we're moving through things, you know. We've got the inauguration, which is actually today, the day that this releases, um, and if you don't like hearing about the politics thing, you know, that's, that's fine. I bring it up because, you know, the, I really think that the collective subconscious really does have a place in our conscious, you know, like we, we intimately feel, uh, the community in which that we live in. So for me, you know, I, I bring it up and I touch on and just want to integrate that into the practice of, uh, like a self-actualization and embodiment, you know, we have to be able to hold the energies of the world while also holding our energies, you know, and if we do one without the other, then oftentimes we have just not as complete of a view of ourselves and what we're responsible and capable of. So that is kind of an aspect of the show and what I think it means to have vitality in the 21st century. I think it really kind of comes down to how well we can be present with happenings while being present with ourselves and the practices that connect these two seemingly polar opposite worlds. And I really think that the work that Mark has done in his life and what he's a proponent of is a really beautiful way to explore just the different layers of yourself. I mean, we talk about very subtle energies in this episode and those are things, you know, and we even kind of bring up 
you know, the, the kind of battle between empiricism and experiential uh, understanding and wisdom. And sometimes the empiricism hasn't caught up yet, but that doesn't really negate the, the experiential wisdom that you can have from pursuing different avenues of uh, unfolding. And, you know, with sound, with the overtone singing, I mean, this is ancient, ancient technology that has been developed over thousands of years. So whether or not we have a scientific model to really represent the processes that are taking place, I mean, to really just trust that, you know, humans have have wisdom and we've had the ability to discern what is good for us and what is beneficial and the fact that this is honestly like always been with us. I mean, even in you know, native cultures here in America, you know, I mean, chanting, singing, humming, you know, these things are, we're moving energy with them where, and you can even feel it. I mean, even as I'm speaking right now, the act of, you know, flexing my vocal cords and expelling air and meaning it, it moves things around uh, inside. So, you know, for anybody out there who thinks that like, this isn't for them, explore it, you know, find ways to move the energy within yourself, find ways to incorporate sound into your practices. Um, even if it's literally just take 10 minutes to listen to one of Mark's wonderful tracks, which you've heard me open with. And at the end of the episode, I'll probably play in full. Um, yeah, just, just explore what this has to offer. And when things open up post COVID, uh, unless you're listening in the future, then now, seek this out. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's, he's not the only one practicing it. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful people. My second episode was with a woman named Samantha Mee out of Detroit, who's actually, um, kind of a gong therapist as well. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to plug in and I definitely encourage you to explore it. And even if it seems a little weird or a little, um, a little out there, just give it, give it some space, really, really give it some space. Uh, if the language doesn't click with you right away, go through the experience, and work with it. And, you know, the language that crops up around a lot of these things, as uh, esoteric as it may seem, is actually carefully and meticulously created because it's it's very specific, subtle things that people have charted out. So unless you've experienced those subtle things, the language, it won't really latch on to anything. But the more you practice, the more the the language actually starts to apply to what you're doing. Um, I notice that, I mean, with meditation, I'm doing my teacher training and practicing every day. And whenever I listen to a Dharma talk, it is deeper. It's different because I have a practice that it attaches to. So in the same way, you know, I think uh, when we're talking about sound or some of the more esoteric aspects of life, I, I think it, the understanding comes from the experience. And then we use linguistic means to convey that experience. And sometimes empiricism doesn't, it's just not caught up yet. But that doesn't mean that it won't be, you know, I think, uh, I think we're getting there. Um, but I mean, he even says in this episode, like there's been life changing, uh, sessions that he's had, you know, with himself and with some of his, uh, students and clients. So, uh, let's not, let's not throw anything off the table just yet when we're in the thick of the communal chaos as, as it will. Um, we could really use wisdom from, you know, whatever dispenser it comes from. So, uh, yeah. Without further ado, um, before we get started, I just want to give a heads up. If you do want to support this show, if you're liking what I'm doing, if you're feeling the momentum that I'm feeling, 
um, and want to help me see this come to full fruition, um, give us a like on Apple Podcasts. It's the most simple thing you could do. They got a five-star rating system. I, I, I bring it up because it helps me rise up in the algorithm and it helps me uh, essentially market the show to other guests that I'm interested in getting. I really want to expand the conversation and really get some of the top minds and workers in the fields that I'm pursuing uh, to come on and share their wisdom. You know, this is this is our conversation and I really feel as if I'm just an ambassador, but the more that we can, you know, get this to be air quotes uh, professional or, you know, well-received, then the, the quicker I can get this conversation moving and um, the more time we'll be able to dedicate to it, you know, so... Uh, outside of that, if you want to like the Facebook, um, we're on YouTube now. So if you want to subscribe to there, like, comment, um, you know, all the things that kind of create buzz, you know, reacting to posts is huge uh, in helping it get to other people, you know, and that's kind of the thing is I'm just focused on getting this out to as many people as possible because I am really, I believe really strongly in the guests that I'm getting. And I think that the work that they're doing in life is important and I vouch for it very strongly. Um, if not for my own self-preservation for getting these folks' words out, you know, um, I, yeah, I don't want to profitize, but yeah, I, there's some great people coming on this show in the next couple of weeks and, uh, they have a lot, a lot to share. So <sighs> that's my, my mid marketing spiel, um, outside of that, thank you so much for listening Open your hearts, open your ears, drink some nice tea, do some asanas, and welcome Mark Handler. Mark Handler, hello, and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So um, our mutual friend, uh, Nikki Turek, was actually the one who suggested you. Um, she showed me one of your YouTube videos. Um, you were giving a presentation with the singing bowls, and you had probably like 30 or 40 of them around you. And I was immediately like, yeah, I, I definitely want to have a, a conversation with you. Um, it's, it's something I've been fascinated in for a while as a massage therapist. I really want to incorporate that into my practice and i guess to start us off i'm just curious how did you find the world of singing bowls i saw on your website that you've been teaching yoga since uh, i think like 69 what what was this journey like and how did you find your relationship with it well there's the long farm and the short farm <laughs> what about medium farm? medium i don't know <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll try um Basically, there's, you know, there's this web of, you know, when you look at your life as a tapestry, and the Carol King song, I love that song, um, but when you look at your life as a tapestry and you look back and you see all the synchronicity that it's like it was all just meant to be and you're just doing exactly what you're doing without ever really consciously having made a choice. <laughs> so so that's an interesting aspect. But what basically, if I think about some of my influences, you know, it starts with um, having severe asthma as a child and lots of times, usually about four or five times a year, when I want to be playing outside with my friends, doing sports and things, I was having to spend a month inside 
you know, in the 50s, they taught asthmatics to um, just rest. And, and so I, so, but what that did, they, my family discovered when I was four, I could just about play any melody with, I mean, it wasn't like a Mozart or a big deal, but I could play any melody with one finger that I heard on the, on the um, radio. So fortunately, I was born, you know, with some aspect of musical ability before any training. And fortunately, my family gave me training, um, piano lessons. And so that's, by the time age 13, I was thinking very seriously of, I was showing the potential to be able to be down the road a professional classical pianist. And I told my parents that's what I wanted to do. And I came from a family where everybody had to be um, doctors and dentists. <laughs> or, yeah. or a few people rebelled and became computer geniuses. And, um, and, and my family, my, my sister's like amazing at taking everybody that, uh, everybody that schools fail with or kick out or whatever and online transforming them. Um, and my brother was, you know, became a social worker, was in charge of health planning for Toronto for a zillion years. And um, yeah, so, but most of us, so when I told them I wanted to be a musician, they absolutely, what kind of life that's gonna be and, <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. So I, you know, I, I gave up that dream and um, I, well, in high school, one I think one of the really significant influences with me was a woman by the name of Nancy Kolodny, who was, I didn't realize it was her first or second year of teaching, and she was the best teacher I had in all of public schools. And we read Siddhartha. Um, by Herman Hess, and now realizing those name, days, we didn't um, we didn't have fair gender. We still don't at in terms of how we communicate, but we didn't say he or she or humankind. We always said mankind. So I'm only mentioning that because Houston Smith at the time when I was a kid, I didn't realize it. I grew up in University City, Missouri, where Washington University was, and he was a professor there. I wish I would have known in high school, because, but they had us read his book, The Religions of Man, of the seven world's major religions. And that inspired me, and Siddhartha with the Buddhism um, teachings, and more than, I mean, more than Buddhist teachings, just teachings about what it's all about. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so that put me on a path. And then, um, you add to that, um, I started university approximately a week and a half, two weeks after the, um, uh, what shall I say? The, 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 the riots in Chicago, Chicago Democratic Convention. National Convention in Chicago with Mayor Daley's forces going to, you know, brutalize all the peaceful protesters, 
you know, and so, um, of course, that had a huge effect on, it's like, my God, I'm living, I grew up in this life where my, even though my, you know, family would normally be freaked, it was totally safe in those days to hitchhike to junior high school. <laughs> yeah. You know, so going from that to looking at um, the changes in society, the Vietnam War, obviously, um, I'm, I'm beginning to question, like, everything. <laughs> and I'm hitting, and in the Midwest, whereas the flower child movement hit in California earlier in the 60s, in the Midwest, it hit right around 68. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm at, I, I remember being in the um, cafeteria at the, the first year you had to live in the dorms. I went to University of Missouri, Kansas City. And um, I, I remember being um, in the student center, the cafeteria um, within the first few weeks. And I remember hearing uh, two songs, uh, Sunshine of Your Love by Cream and Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. And I heard those songs and it felt to me like when I heard those songs, it felt like everything, the whole world was about to change. Um, unfortunately, I learned now that like there were a certain part of my generation that the values that we developed and believed in are who we are and who we still are but that was a minority for most of my generation it was a fad and so that that but but yet the seeds we planted um despite the chaos in our society there's a solid environmental movement um, there's a solid um, yoga meditation movement. Um, there's movements toward equality for people. I mean, it's a struggle. Um, we have, you know, gay marriage. Not people can love who they want to love in most places in the U.S. Um, we, you know, we we've. I could go on and on about the issues of the day. Um, we got out of the Vietnam War. Unfortunately, the U.S. has been in war my whole covert or overt war my entire life. And so while the propaganda is that we're a peace-loving nation, we're really a warrior state nation that is always in war and, and, and in war with its own people is even before this situation, you know, but the current situations, but we, 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 we live in a brutal society where, where the way to solve problems, you know, in the criminal justice world is through brutality rather than through rehab and empathy and compassion and teaching and helping people find another way. That's not, that's not the culture that we live in. Um, and my work all these years, you know, both the 33 years I spent in healthcare as a, a clinician, um, a 
little bit of research um, as a and as a senior healthcare leader, um, and then I went from that to alternative practices with the singing bowls and a variety of other practices. But um, it's it's along the way all those things you know I'm doing that and there's. I'm a member of the Association for Humanistic Psychology and Transpersonal Psychology. So now we're not just dealing with we're not just dealing with the weaknesses of human beings, but so humanistic psychology is dealing with things like creativity and self-actualization, human potential, and and what are the great things we can do. And and then transpersonal psychology deals with uh, unitive states of consciousness, cosmic consciousness, um, love, um, spirituality, and so those. And and at the time, Ramdas wrote his book "Be Here Now," and I think I met Ramdas when I was nineteen or twenty. Right, nineteen or twenty years old was the first time I met him and and he was a PhD psychologist working with Tim Leary from Harvard that they both got fired for their psychedelic research and um, I basically um, Ramdas went off to become a yogi um, and Ramdas be here now in I don't remember the exact year but 68 or 69 um, was considered, 70 was considered the best-selling book in the world um, next to the Bible. Um, I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah, yeah. And so Ramdas has had an amazing effect on, and he became a clinical psychologist. I dropped out of pre-med and became a clinical psychologist. <laughs> and, 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 um, and so, you know, these patterns, and that opened up me to the world of yoga. And, oh, I don't know, I was already kind of opened up to it. But the, what happened is Yogananda came here in the early 20s. And he was the first yogi here. And had, that had a big impact on a lot of people. But then U.S. immigration policies blocked off immigration. And you didn't see people coming here you know, yogis coming here from India for decades. And then finally in the mid-60s, all these yogis started coming from India. And I was fortunate enough to be able to be trained by first-generation yogis from, you know, in the States from, from India. And so that shaped my world, you know, whether it was you know, um, Swami Raman's outfit, I'm forgetting the name of what that was, or it was um, Yogi Bhajan with Kundalini Yoga, or, you know, my own path is Amrit Yoga, uh, or my lineage, my official lineage, that's where my name, my yogic name, Ajay, comes from. Um, and so all these yoga influences, and then the and, and when I was 15 and 16, that was the other thing. I was always fascinated by everything in India, Indian food, Indian dance, Indian arts, Indian philosophy. Um, I don't know why. I have no idea why, but I was just fascinated. And then along the lines, there wasn't much information yet on Tibet, but I found myself 
fascinated by all, all things about Tibet. And so in the 80s, the, the um, mystical arts of Tibet tour started touring the United States and um, demonstrating uh, not so much the singing bowls, but the Tibetan polyphonic overtoning um, art, a way to put it simply for someone who's not a musician. Um, in the U.S., we singers sing one note at a time, whereas in certain two different monastic styles in Tibet, or the old Tibet, um, and Tibet in exile, um, you're basically, and you're not using so chanting for fun, you're using it for meditation, for healing, for shifting consciousness. And um, the basically what you're doing is you're making chords with your voice. So you're creating anywhere from two to, well, one musician once captured me. I, I've, I've never heard more than four notes going at the same time, but uh, one musician once captured me at like at eight notes going at the same time. Um, I couldn't hear it, but they could. But but the idea isn't the idea isn't about singing well, but the idea is to use the the Tibetan mantras and overtone style of uh, of singing or chanting um, to basically transmit energy and subtle energy. And you're transmitting that subtle energy to then help to heal, basically, or soften the heart in terms of being more loving or more compassionate. Um, so, so in the that happened, and I thought, oh man, I got to learn that someday. And I thought, I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to learn. I, I, when am I going to have that opportunity? And then the next thing I knew, I was at the uh, Association for uh, International so Transpersonal Association in, in 93 or 94 in Colony, Ireland. And Jill Percy was there. And she came and chanted uh, overtoned OM. And I was absolutely transfixed. And again, I thought, my gosh, I got to find out how I'm going to learn to do this someday because this is amazing, but I don't know where I'm ever going to have be able to afford financially or access to get to where I need to get to to do it. And then all of a sudden, karmically, I can only imagine karmically, my destiny or whatever, is everywhere I would go, the Mystical Arts of Tibet show would happen to be there. When I go on vacation, I remember once I was on South Beach, and you know, Miami, in Miami, and people start yelling, oh, about five blocks up the beach, there's an art center, and Tibetan monks are there. So, so we walked up to the beach, and, and, and you know, each, and each time I would go to one of the presentations uh, of, of their chanting, I would um, find myself, I can't say transmission or whatever, I would start being able to learn to do it. Um, 
Um, and then gradually I went off for, you know, extensive training uh, with Jonathan Goldman in Colorado. And, um, and then after that, I, you know, I had it and I just, my abilities, you know, as the years went by to facilitate, you know, deep experiences for other people just got, you know, increasingly more effective or potent. And, um, and so it's been, and for myself, it's just, you know, it's really nice because as soon as you start Tibetan style chanting, like for like, with the overtoning for like 90 seconds, it's like, you're, at least for me, it's like, I'm already into inner stillness. I mean, I'm away from the ego and I'm into, you could say, spirit consciousness and, empty, you know, the ir ironic thing, you know, some Buddhists refer to it as the full void. And that sounds like a paradox because how can total emptiness be completely full? But when you go into complete stillness, and you're in there for an extended period of time and you come out of that space, whenever I bring people out of that state of consciousness, it's like I feel like I'm a, an annoying alarm clock. Because <laughs> they're feeling, they're, a lot of times they're feeling the best they've ever felt in their life. And they're having a level of profound relaxation or extraordinary experiences um, I call them extraordinary rather than supernatural because the only thing that's mm -hmm. weird about the supernatural is we, when we call it supernatural, is it just means we haven't figured out how it works, if it works and how it works. But there's nothing unnatural about the supernatural. It's like there's nothing weird about mental illness. Mental illness is just like diabetes or um, asthma or cancer or any other disease, you know, Parkinson's, it's just another normal aspect of the human condition that we have a lot of good techniques for helping people live a successful life if they have access to that care. And so, so then I started doing the chanting and before I knew it, um, and then I was in, um, I was in California in Berkeley. This is a long, long time ago. This is when bowls were affordable, antique singing bowls, and there were lots of them available. And um, I was at a Himalayan fair in a neighborhood park, and there was a singing bowl. And to the linear ego mind, what I'm about to say sounds insane. But basically, there was a singing bowl there, and um, basically, its energy picked me out. There were lots of singing bowls there, but there was one that picked me out, and I remember saying to my son, I go, I think I need, to, I think I'm supposed to have this, but I have absolutely no need for it. And my son turned around to me and said, I think you ought to get it, Dad. Um, and I said, well, it would be a pain to fly with. And he goes, I think you ought to get it, Dad. So I, 
I bought it, and then the next day we went back to Carlsbad. We flew down to, which was where um, the spa that he, he was ran was, and he didn't know this, but people he supervised were having a vendor presentation of a, of a gong bath and a singing bowl concert. So my son was funny because they said, can I go? And he goes, well, you'll have to get the permission of the staff. <laughs> he was the boss of it, of it all. And, it, yeah. and I got, so I got permission and I went and I, I felt like the singing bowls brought me to one of the, among one, among the deepest, you know, spiritual experiences of my life. It, it felt like they brought me to this inner space of home that was just wonderful. And so the next day, oh my God, and in California, you pay like triple the price for a treatment, you know. But I said, I'm going to get a treatment, and the treatment, and then I, then I went into um, a couple of years of specific training, and then I um, found that I didn't need additional training because the additional training I was getting was from the bulls themselves. And I even learned a technique that I've never seen a bull to any, anybody work with singing bulls work with. I call it the sound of silence. And where you're just working with the energy of the bull, the energy field, rather than the sound of the bull, the vibrations. Because you, you see, all that happens when you strike that singing bull is you're just manifesting so humans can hear the vibrations. But the fact is those, those vibrations are already embedded, you know, for hundreds of years in those singing bowls. So that they have an energy imprint in and of, a, in and of themselves. And so, again, what I'm describing from the part of me that was trained as a scientist you know, sounds crazy <laughs> on a certain level. Then again, if you start looking at astrophysics, um, quantum physics, what I'm saying is absolutely logical. <laughs> Makes absolute sense. But in the old reductionist philosophy that we break where this, this, where we break things into parts and we don't recognize the German term gestalt, which the best mm -hmm. definition I can give of that is the sum is greater than the the sum is greater than the totality of its parts, and that's a human, you know, and so that's why and and it's crazy because we've gotten stuck. When we get into quantum mechanics, we might get beyond that, but right now, I mean, quantum computing, but right now we're stuck in this ones and zeros world. And we think that we can, um, like say in the electronic health record, that we can do ones and that we can do all these questions, ones and zeros, and then have a good presentation of what's going on with, with that person's physiology. But that's not the way the body works. You have many, many feedback loop systems, and he, and if one if there's a cellular disconnection within one loop system, it can affect all, many of the other loop systems. So you can't regularly figure out what's going on electron, and, and then they develop these 
um, codes for billing that, <laughs> you know, turn it into black and white. Either you have this or you don't have this. And um, so, yeah, the, the, the reductionist world, it, it's great for fixing fractures. It's, it's great for a lot of things, but it, it, it misses out on much of what we are, what life is. I mean, geez, the reductionist world of science a lot of times fails to look at trees as, as conscious entities. And yet, if you study the science of trees, and you look what's going on with your root, their root systems, and you look in a forest how the root systems, how they coordinate and integrate with each other to find the right nutrients they need in the soil to feed, and and then you realize, my gosh, this is a conscious living entity. Now, its consciousness may be different than how humans define consciousness. Um, is it better consciousness? Is it worse consciousness? You know, are more intelligence or less? I have no idea. <laughs> Actually, if I look at all yeah. the harm humans have caused to the planet, I would say that, the, that what we call the most intelligence might be the least intelligent species. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. It, it kind of sounds like, as I'm he sitting here listening to your story, it, it's almost like this world has kind of always been speaking to you and kind of pulling you towards it. You know, you kind of said that, it, you know, it's like not logical that the bull spoke to you. But as you said that, like, it makes total sense when in the context of your entire life story, all the way from when you had asthma, which kind of put you into the category of musician to when, you know, you heard the Jimi Hendrix song and like what that did to you. Do you think that it maybe was the influence of the bowl or the path throughout the entire thing, like that synchronistic um, momentum forward? Do you think it's all kind of leading towards the same yeah. thing? Yeah, I don't know if the bowl was the criteria or whatever, but it was like I was... It, it's like the karma in my life was to be, you know, a spiritual guy. And I spent 28 years, you know, as a psychologist and social worker, clinical psychologist and clinical social worker. You know, I spent five years, um, a little over five years, uh, um, on the state board of chiropractic regulating, you know, being one of the people regulating that the patient, that profession for patients and for chiropractors. Um, so I spent a lot, but the other thing is, um, it, it wasn't unusual as a psychotherapist. Um, if, if the clients, I wouldn't push it on somebody but if the client was open to Eastern, you know, Asian forms of psychotherapy, you could say approaches, it would not be unusual for me to utilize yoga as a, as a therapeutic technique within as a psychotherapist. Um, actually, um, what psychologists call, they, they think it's their invention, progressive muscle relaxation, Actually, it was designed by the yogis thousands of years ago. <laughs> is 
is that something that's currently in use, the progressive? Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people use it. Yeah, psychologists use it all the time. It, it's some, okay. you know, in yoga class, have you been to any yoga classes? Yeah, so when yeah. you do Shavasana at the end, some yoga teachers, not all, but they'll have, you know, some will start at the top of the body, start, some will start at the bottom, but as you're breathing slower and deeper, they'll tell you to tighten your toes. Loose, track them, loosen them, let them relax, mm. tighten your feet, and they'll go up through the whole body or down through the whole body. Um, yeah. That's one of the ways that some people, and well, that's the exact same technique psychologists are using in their offices, you know, yeah. Other, yeah. other than they haven't gone through the breath work or even though, you know, I. I advocated breath work. We had it in our programs for K through seven where we could work consultants and came in and wrote a newsletter for the teachers. Um, when that, or some of our concepts got integrated when Reagan was president into um, the, you know, a whole Michigan substance abuse prevention curriculum, um, there was a chapter on, on breath and the, the, what they called in those days the moral majority um, viewed the breath work as the work of Satan. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like the most, it's like the work of life. Like breath is light. Like how are you? Yeah. And, and, and two weeks before the unemployment offices closed, um, I did a training for some people from Michigan Works um, breath training for stress management. <laughs> and I, it, it, I didn't know they were going to close. What I knew is because of my healthcare background in late January, I knew that um, we were in trouble. We weren't in trouble yet, but we were in trouble. And my kids thought I was being an alarmist. And in April, they go, how did you know, Dad? <laughs> And and so it's not that it, it's just that I have the background to, you know, the mainstream media when they report healthcare stuff, it's relatively lame. But when you have the ability to access the scientists and and go into the journals and understand how research is done and, and evaluate your conclusions of the results and how the study was designed for yourself that gives you a whole different way of looking at it and and so that that was that that's all been a useful skill um but going back to the bowls and and the meditatives type so so it might not be unusual for me to sit if it i remember there'd be sometimes you'd have clients they'd achieve all their goals but there'd be something missing and so, so sometimes what you would, might do is you might sit down and chant with them for an hour and they might have an experience and all of a sudden that was the, whatever was missing is there now and you can, you conclude therapy, <laughs> you know. Um, so what do you think is missing in that kind of situation? Um, uh, a sense of... A, it's a certain sense of connect. I don't know if I want to use the word. I guess rather than spiritual, I would use the word of a sense of energetic deep 
deconnection is what our energetic connection is what's missing. Um, uh, you know, the ability to the ability to see oneself, to see all of life as one, is missing. Um, the the you know humans see themselves as more than other other humans are more than other species. Um, the, the notion of the, I mean, you look at from the microcosm, nanoparticles, the tiniest things that exist, whatever we can find, the tiniest, you know, the, as the atomical particles get tinier and tinier as they discover, to the um, cosmos, you know, billions of light years away, you know, if you take the Hindu um, triad of, of Brahman, now realize in Hinduism, the, the gods and goddesses, there's many different, you know, symbolisms and interpretations and, and possibles. But this is, this is a simplistic one, but it's Brahman creator, uh, Vishnu, preserver and and um, and Shiva transformer um, you know the rock has to be destroyed by the sculptor to become a great work of art so there's Shiva with the the rock farm is destroyed and now here's Brahman with this great work of art well you take this metaphor and you apply it to um, life, you apply it to planetary systems, solar systems, galaxies, stars, and you go and then you go the opposite direction to the lo lowest and it, it's all the same process. It repeats itself over and over again. And the one law in physics that still remains a law, the best of, best of knowledge I have, is energy can't be created nor destroyed, merely redistributed throughout the universe. So whatever we think of ourselves, irregardless, whatever it is, whatever compounds we're made up of, whatever energy we're made up of, Probably, you know, as long as there's been a cosmos, there's always been and always will be as long as there's a cosmos. Now, has there always been a cosmos? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that because that, that's a great question for, the, for, for astrophysicists. You know, they struggle with that one. You know, it's pretty cool, though, because we've been able to see two billion years out. And um, right now we have the technology but not the money for scientists and engineers um, to use laser beams to transmit tiny, super tiny objects, but to super to transmit um, tiny objects at 20 times the speed of light, which means we could go way further and get information. Um, if you know, if we have, but are we going to have the money to do that? And should we do that? You know, I mean, like. That second one's the important one. Should we do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, 
yeah yeah so i don't know but but that is that is a it is a fascinating question i mean people are still exploring the, the big boom or whatever but you know the the interesting thing is no matter how um call it increasing stages of higher states of consciousness um call it enlightenment whatever you want to call it or call various levels of it um it's like the yogis used to say you don't need faith just practice and you'll know mm, I like that but at some and that's a good point but at some level when one has these experiences and you look back you really don't have the criteria to say whether that empirically to say um is this indicative of whatever i think i am going beyond death at some level life beyond death or you know some energetic form um maybe are is are these experience these extraordinary experiences are they just simply part of the um evolving of certain humans that have the capacity to develop these abilities while they're in human form and at that point then you get back to faith <laughs> either you yeah. and and so you choose to perceive it or interpret it however you choose to interpret it based on you know whatever has been whatever input has been fed in both you know verbally linearly and and holistically or holographically and so but and and that's one of the things i mean that's one of the things i've realized but it doesn't really matter on a certain, I mean, sure, everybody would like to know, but the bottom line is when you're working with subtle energies, and you know, we have lots of models for this around the world. We have we have the yogic model that refers to it as as, as prana, um, and and the chakras and nadis. We have the Chinese medicine model that refers to it as chi and um meridians we have the chiropractic model that refers to it as innate intelligence um you know i could probably go on and i mean well i think japan i think the word is hari i believe but i'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not sure if that's correct or not um but but we we have all these and and we have all these aspects of these possibilities. So, and the, and they enhance one's life. You know, when I see, yeah. I've seen people that have come back to me from one singing bowl conscious, our, our, our concert or experience, and them telling me six months or a year later that they developed this really, their whole life changed for the positive. They started viewing things entirely differently that was helpful 
that that made a difference, and I see it happen over and over. And I and I've seen direct, I've seen healings have. I mean, I've people have told me of healings happen. People have told me of pain relief, and I mean, I can't. I, I don't have the equipment um, to measure that, any of that that I might be able to measure. But you know, when you see it happen enough times. Um, and you see enough, pe- and you see, I mean, there's some things, I mean, there's some things I could say in ways that would be okay with the FDA, but they might view it as misleading, even though it's not misleading. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. the bottom line is the bulls, well, let me put it another way. I was once doing a seminar on energy field assessment with the singing bulls. And I had, and one of my students was a, 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 a osteopathic physician. So he basically was a regular doctor, you know, that did, I think he, at the time he was doing, you know, critical care. And I remember at one point he goes, during the summer, he goes, what, wh- when are we going to get to the diagnostic part? And I go, for you, it's diagnosis. For me and the rest of us, it's energy field assessment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's 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 really not a big difference, but um, in terms of because the bulls give you information you couldn't possibly know about what's physically. The bulls are they're almost like ancient M. Okay, again, this is an opinion. I'm not empirically stating. <laughs> <laughs> the government's perspective, but the bulls, they're like ancient MRIs, you know? Wow. <laughs> and, and so nice. sometimes you get information. It's, it's, it's hard, though, because when you get a really um, distorted... There, okay, there's, there's mild, moderate energy patterns that are distorted that are just fine. You can balance them, you can work with them, but sometimes you get really, really um, bizarre energy patterns occasionally. And those energy, and, and you realize with that person, between you get different patterns between different peoples with the same bull or different people with the same singing bull, but you realize that you've just picked up on something and it might be something serious, and you don't want to scare them, but you realize they really need to go and get checked out by a physician to make sure it's not something serious. And and the trouble is, you know, when you get that pattern more often than not, it's, it, I mean, the trouble is knowing that more often than not, when you get these weird patterns, it is something more serious. But the other side is, by finding stuff sometimes and then sending people to their doctors, um, they find stuff and they may have to go through awful treatment sometimes, but they end up living a whole lot more years sometimes. And so um, I'm not going to say it's because of the singing bowls or, you know, because, you know, human beings have an infinite number of variables that affect them. I just report what people tell me, their experience with the singing bowls, and I see when I tell somebody to go to the doctor, and I see what the doctor finds, you know, that's how I 
come across my aspects. For me, the most important thing um, is whether you whether someone needs to heal at some level physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Um, it seems like the more still, the more empty our, mo our, our ego is, the more relaxed we are, the better the immunity system works. And, and even to the point where with regular psychologist type relaxation techniques, they've measured and found that things improve when someone's more deeply relaxed with various elements of the immunity system. And so, so the bottom line is to help people, and I use the words a lot, release and let go. Um, because we don't know all the trauma that we're, we hold on to. Um, a lot of that becomes unconscious, and a lot of stuff that we may not define, even if we knew, is trauma, our emotions, our, our mental functioning, our, our spiritual, fu our physical functioning, might perceive it as trauma, even though we would not, if you told us about it, we might not necessarily call that trauma. We might be reacting to it as if it's traumatic on a physiological, spiritual, or mental, you know, emotional, mental level. So, so that's another aspect. So if you can bring people to places, the deepest peace they've ever experienced in their life, if you can facilitate that process, that, that gives them the possibilities to not be stuck in their worldview and to open up to other possibilities. One of the problems we have in the United States is at least, I can't remember what the um, number is, but we have a massive number of people in this country, huge number of people that have never been out of the United States. And so they think we're, we're, we're it. We're all that we're the best and we're all there is. They don't realize there's a lot of hard, there's, 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 there's cultures that are way more together than us. There's cultures that are way more outrageous than us. Um, but if people don't infuse themselves in other cultures and if you raised in Rome religion and you never go stuck, it's fine to stay in that religion if it gives you, if you don't dump it on other people, force it on other people, and it gives you um, peace of mind, that's great. But um, it, it, it's like we have, as long, if we have those experiences that are so deep, it gives us possibility. And I always say, I, I, I don't care what someone's spiritual belief system is. I don't care what their religion is. Because most religions don't give people, a, give pe they give people intellectual information, um, and they be, but they don't give people experiences. And so I figure if I can give them it, not, I don't give them. I, it comes through me. I don't. I, I'm. I'm not the play. I'm not the doer. But but it's. I just get out of the way and let it happen. You know. But it's like if people can have that. You know, profound peace. 
like I say, it opens up so many other possibilities. The bulls, singing bulls I work with are antique. They range between over 100 up to 500 years old. Um, these days, the antiques, most of the antiques that were left in the world that were in collectors or practitioners' hands that were good quality, most of them, with a hand, with the exception of a handful of people I know, most of them got buried under the earthquakes in Nepal in 2015. And so the antique prices have gone through the sky. Um, there's some really terrific, affordable, like the first couple generations of contemporary singing bowls um, were, were terrible. But the artisans that I've come to know, know their work and the sources that I can tune people into, um, you know, they're probably on their sixth, seventh generation prototype and their, their sounds are just terrific. I mean, the only thing they don't have is when metal, they don't have that energetic imprint from hundreds of years of meditation and healing and been in monasteries or people's homes. They don't have that, but they, but you, so, so what happens is you just infuse them with your own energy field and, 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 and your own energy work and you build their power. And, and so, so it's something that's going to remain available to people. As a matter of fact, my last, um, CD and download that's better than Singing Bull Experience, um, I produced that in a way that I, I wanted to make sure that I tried to, basically I worked with a, a, a an audio engineer who, um, gosh, he had, when he was young, he had a Grammy, he had like seven or eight platinum records that he engineered, and, and I wanted to work with someone that had the, could figure out how to capture this sound more pure than it had ever been captured, and I feel that we did that, and the reason I wanted to do that is I'm one person, I've trained a lot of people, but if human, if the digit, if the computer technology survives for a long time and the humor technology survives, it's possible that this knowledge could get lost, but that if I have it in a affordable, easy farm, humanity could still benefit from it long after I'm gone. And so that was my goal with my last CD. I mean, I, of course, I wanted to have a great meditation for people <laughs> to have the experience. But I also was, and the other goal on that CD, I haven't acted on this, but the other goal on that CD is I wanted it formatted in such a way, I, I wanted to format it in such a way that if I could get any um, professional researchers um, to integrate it into their research, um, I think it would help to begin building a science of sound healing. Um, and, uh, you know, there were several people that I was aware of. Um, one, it's come up three times. I just haven't followed through because the, I haven't wanted to have to. We could probably all do it down the road online but or through communicating online. But I probably have to do one or two trips 
Um, I hate driving through Chicago. I'd have to get to Madison, Wisconsin. And so I haven't followed through on that one. And the other one I was going to follow through on was um, John Hopkins got a massive amount of donation and they set up their medical school, a center for interdisciplinary psychedelic studies. And one of their neuroscientists, as they're creating, researching and creating therapeutic, um, legal therapeutic events for people, you know, um, for their various problems. One of the neuroscientists is interested in what kind of sound, music or sound might be the best, most therapeutic for people undergoing those experiences. And I remember thinking to myself, um, wow, I should get a hold of her soon. And this might be a really good place where they have the equipment where they, and the money where they could, like if she was interested, where and it sounded like an interest area of hers. But then COVID came. I thought, well, I'm not driving to Baltimore in the winter. Well, I thought I'll deal with it next spring, summer when it's easy to drive. And, and then COVID came and I was like, you know, that was that. was that. I don't even know if they're able to do their research right now. I have no idea. So so that, that was a, a, a crazy kind of situation, but... Um, but an interesting one. I mean, I, I, I and, and you see, when you're working with the singing bowls, this is a little, basically, most of the public, the singing bowls enhance your, the, your, how can I put it? The singing bowls enhance your, abilities to work with subtle energy that are already within you they enhance those but and i could do a singing bowl concert and not try to generate any work with it all with my own energy field it would be a lot of hard work to repress that but if i repress that people would still have an experience from the singing bowls but the bottom line is what's coming out of my third, what I'm doing with my third eye that's invisible is, is exponentially makes the work that much more po powerful. Um, but, you know, I don't typically talk about that except people who go through, you know, training with me. Um, and that comes in advanced stages of training after you've learned a whole lot of ways to work with the singing bowls. In singing bowl training, I, I, some people do singing bowl training, um, step one, step two, step three, step four. Um, that's not my way. I've had people have gone through that, those sorts of training and then trained with me and gone, oh my gosh, that's not how you do it. Because my notion is give people as many tools as possible, and then you have to really build, and then you need to build up their experiences working with subtle energy and working with, you know, feeling energy and intuition, our, our clinical instincts. And, and then at that point, there's no step one, step two, step three. 
you do whatever you need to do based on the feedback that you're getting from the person's energy field from the singing bowl. And so um, there's, a, there's so many levels to the singing bowls. Of course, the, the simplest, least complex level, how they're designed, <laughs> there's a double-sided aspect of this. It's like a coin. The simplest aspect is they sound really beautiful. And those beautiful <laughs> sounds feel really good. Um, however, how the heck did the agents, how to figure out how to make those amazing sounds and sustains and vibrations and energy? You know, that's miraculous. So on a simple level, they just sound and feel good. But on a complex level, it's like, but it reminds me of, you know, um, the, the, there's a mantra that's called the Sri Yantra, man, not mantra, Yantra, um, uh, or Mandela. Uh, Mandela is like a visual geometric um, meditation tool that one would stare into um, and, and absorb its single point, try to use that to develop single point in concentration. Um, so there's this yantra um, that is like interlaced. If you think of a Star of David, and then you think of many of them, but overlaid over others. So you have all these right side up triangles, and then these upside down triangles within each other. And, and then there, there's a floral kind of circular design around it. But basically, um, that particular yantra is carved on temple walls three to 5,000 years old in India. And when you put that on an oscilloscope or a tonoscope and you chant om, the, the terminology om, pra, ah, om properly, um, it shows, it comes up on the oscilloscope or the tonoscope as um, the Sri Yantra Mandela, which is a, which is a delicious mystery because That's how did they, how the heck did they know thousands of years ago the geometric aspect of the, the primordial sound in, 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 in yoga? You know, that's behind everything, behind creation. Uh, um, and so, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, well, I've been going on and on. What would you like to ask me? <laughs> I think, you, like, it, it's been an interesting phenomenon because, like, every time I have a question, you end up answering it. <laughs> like, within, like, a matter of, like, five minutes, I'm just kind of, like, just kind of absorbing what you're having to say. Um, the one thing that comes up is as you're giving these um, these sessions and you're saying that you're receiving feedback from the people who are partaking, how what does that feel like for you? Like what how does how is that communicated to you? If that makes <clears throat> sense. Okay, so it depends on the singing bowl uh, on the, on the uh, on an introductory level. The way to explain that is. Let's say that you have a singing bowl and its vibe is I didn't do that very well. Let me try again. 
here a little water. Anyway, and it's my I'm I'm a little dry, so um, and 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 I haven't been because of COVID. I haven't been out and about regularly, you know, working my voice. So, um, but basically, what happens? So you have a bowl that sound is mm, just a steady frequency, and then you hit a certain part on the body's around the body, and all of a sudden the bowl starts going. Mm, and you know something's going on there and so then you try to balance it and it's like a metal detector yeah yeah right and you balance you balance it with um you might sometimes it gets balanced in like 15 20 seconds uh you know generally i'll stay in an area no longer than five minutes if 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 it's not balanced in five minutes you've gone as far as you're going to go for that day with that area move on um but basically the it's the and you you get to know when if you're working regularly with one person a particular person you get to know their spots and their energy imprints and how things sound when they're not right as you get to know them and and as as um meditation or healing or bliss ecstasy as those things start to evolve you start hearing you you start seeing a change in the vibration you you hear a change in the vibration and it's the same thing physically when i'm overtoning i'm i'm doing this pet and tail chant in a concert i'm not doing it right on top of somebody's body um because there's lots of people there in a, in a meditation concert in it when we're working one-on-one -on -one with people with their permission i'm three to five inches away from their body so i'm right in their energy field and then i'm using my voice to transmit energy and then then what i'll find is it's not my changing my voice but when i hit a spot on their body and I'm not physically touching them, but when I hit a spot on their body that changes my voice, then I know I, I got another spot that needs balancing. So those those are the different a couple of different ways that you determine um, where things are going on. And you know, if 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 we lived in a country where you could say this this may be or this may be whereas other people tell me this may be you know i could say a whole lot more but you know it's like it, it you know every every medical thing you see online always has a uh the a statement this is not used for the treatment and prevention every this is for education it's not used for the prevention and treatment of disease so you know so you know that that's the law those are the rules so you respect them but you know the and i don't want to give people i don't want to tell people that like this is a you know the problem with the concept of cure 
is it implies that we're immortal. <laughs> you know, you just cure this. Whoa, yeah. You just fix this. Crazy. And, and a lot of people just want to be cured so they can go on abusing their bodies <laughs> and live the way <laughs> they want to live. And, and, yeah. and, and when I think of healing, I think of healing as, as integration of mind, body, and spirit, or balance of mind, body, and spirit. And, and if someone's an atheist, that doesn't matter because then we have the quantum field. And, and the quantum field has all the qualities. You can come up with all the qualities that people come up with, all their spiritual beliefs. And so an atheist connecting to this and they're just, they're just plugging into the cosmos, you know, <laughs> or the nanoparticle, the, the, the tiny the tiniest atomic particles. So it, it, it really doesn't matter one's belief system. And, and for me, when I do the work, what happens with people sometimes if, who are religious is they may become that much more committed by having those experiences to their religious tradition. Tremendous. That's great. And, or they may have an experience that, that causes them to, to question and want to explore other religious traditions. That's great. Just Fortunately, probably just their predisposition to maybe already having doubts about that religion, you know, probably just brings it to the surface, I can imagine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, or, it's, or it, even if they don't have doubts, it's they believe this religion, but it doesn't do it, it's not doing enough for them, you know? And mm -hmm. so now they're getting something that seems to, um, they seem to resonate with. So either way, you know, it's, you know, I, re, you know, I remember once uh, as a psychotherapist in my private practice, um, this employee assistance program, um, you know, wanted me to take a client who was, um, who was calling them, you know, many times per day in crisis. Please, Mark, please take him. And they said, I, I, in my private practice, I had specialized in anxiety disorders, stress management, and phobias, and panic attacks. And they said, please, you know, please take, we know you can help her, you know, you're really good at this stuff. And, um, and they told me she was an, an she was, a, you know, one of these TV church evangelical Christians. And I said, well, you know, they're really spooked out by, you know, affirmation or um, visualization. And she goes, oh, you'll figure something out. Please take her. So what I did is I thought I looked at, and this is what I've always did when I was a psychologist with clients, is I would always look at what is their, what is their, what's comfortable with their belief system. So with her belief system, I thought, well, what we'll do, one of the tools we'll do is we'll have her imagine herself being comforter, comforted, comforted in the arms of Jesus. Now it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't visualization. <laughs> It is visualization, but from a Christian yeah, perspective, yeah. that's not visualization. Right. So I, you know, to me, I find it, it it's oh, this will really, this will probably really get me some people up. 
Well, the ones listening to your podcast will probably be cool with it, but but to yeah. me, I don't see any. What you know, what we call prayer, and we call spell casting, I don't see any difference. You know, right, right. one yeah. in spell casting and Wiccan, people believe that they're that 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 the divine is in everything. It's inside of us. It's all around us that we're part of the divine. So all you're doing in spell casting is doing rituals that basically are prayers for, for good outcomes for people with their problems. And what do people do with prayer? <laughs> the same right, thing. Right. So it, it, it just, it, it, I find it, if it what if people weren't so, if, if they weren't so, um, what shall I say, us versus them, so tribal, it would be funny, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But they're yeah. so tribal, they decide this is the, you know, and that tribalism. Four hundred years of women and their family members being massacred as witches. <laughs> You know, when it was simply, you know, a very similar, you know, a very, a very similar belief system, just simply communicated with different language. (laughs) Yep, different symbol sets. It's all about like respecting creation. You know, it's just like different ways to approach the different elements of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, and and so that's how it. So going back to the bull work, it's you know when I you know when I do when I've done bull concerts, you know I hope that we'll get a handle on COVID and I'll be able to go back doing that. But my, I mean I've done festivals, but it, it's really hard to control social distancing at a festival and close range. You know I've done some large venues, but most of my ven where I'm on a stage, but most of my venues you know, are smaller venues and with running at 25 or 50 percent capacity, it, 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 I don't want to contribute to people passing it on to each other or am I getting it or am I passing it on to somebody, you know, we because of the asymptomatic qualities and with all the variations that are going on right now. So, so right now, you know, it's a great tool for me to have at home for my family, for my wife and yeah, I. But right, um, and it, it's part of my, you know, it's part of my, you know, my practices. But it, it's not something that um, it's it's not something that um, I need to that I would need to um, that I can be actively doing right now. I I I I'm, I like to be hopeful. Um, so what I do is I sit here, my wife got her, when I don't, she got her first two vacs. I know there's a lot of anti-vaccers, but I look at the data and on what COVID does versus the risk of the, you know, doing something we've never done before. And I'll go with that risk, (laughs) you know, whenever I get my turn, I don't, there's, there's 22,000 of us in Grand Traverse County, and there's only 2,000 that have been able to get it. So, well, because supply problems, so we'll see what happens. But, um, but, but then again, that's only a, you know, so that's another subject, but that's, I, I just would like to be out there helping people, you know, and I'm 70, and um, 
I'm not. I'm 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 the at risk population. Everybody's at risk, but but the older you are, the more at risk you are. So um, right now, I'm just taking. A, I can do podcasts like this. I can, you know, teach somebody online, but I can't like really. Um, I can't really do my work right now because we got a situation where I I want I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Well, that was really wonderful. Um, I know that you wanted to take a walk today, so I feel like we should uh, just put a bow on it and um, maybe pick this conversation back up in the future. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Mark, for spending this time with me and sharing your story, sharing um, the work that you do, because I honestly really do think it's important. And I think that um, the more light we shine on this aspect of practice, especially the fact that you mix it with um, the psychotherapy, I think, you know, like this is a conversation worth having. So again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. You're welcome. And I appreciate you and thank you. It's a pleasure to, um, share whatever information people, for people who, um, have interest, you know, that's, that's always great. So, um, my pleasure and have a wonderful weekend and I look forward to the next time. Thank you. Bye. All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening all the way through. You really are the MVP, and I'm making this show for you. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your your attention and your energy. I do not take that lightly, and it is an honor to have spent this time with you. Um, like I said before. If you want to support the show, just head on over to Apple Podcasts, five-star rating, do all the things I said at the beginning, blah, 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 blah. You can get it. Um, If you've already done it, then thank you so much. I will someday have a Patreon and we'll be able to connect. We're going to be able to have conversations and do practices together. And maybe I'm spilling the beans, but you made it to the end of the episode. So, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll share that with you. Yeah, I have a lot of plans for interactivity. It's a thing. If you want to get a hold of Mark, um, TibetanBowlMaster.com is his web handle. Um, he's on all the social medias, YouTube, just type in Mark Handler, uh, Singing Bowl, and like I said, he's, yeah, his work is incredible. So until next week, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is Brett. Have a good week. And once again, the track that you're hearing in the beginning and the end is Ajna from Mark himself. You can purchase this over at his website if you're 